0: Hi, I'm Nigel, the Shanghai psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune in to you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all "Tell Craig Your Story" listeners. Just use the code "Tell Craig Your Story" for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai psychic Craig here, welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. It's an absolute honour to welcome on to the podcast today one of my favourite players from the Newcastle Knights. He is a Newcastle Knights legend, Billy Peden. Now Billy was born in Cessnock, Australia. He played 190 games for the Newcastle Knights and 25 games for the London Broncos from 94 to 2002. He was a two-time Premiership winner in 97 and 2001, where he scored two tries that game. He's also an ambassador for the Mark Hughes Foundation, where they raise awareness for brain cancer. And you can check out my podcast that I did with Mark Hughes two years ago. In 2011, Billy was named in the Cessna Gowanas Team of the Century. But Before we go, please go to our website, we're at podbean. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. We have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. We also have a YouTube account there. Make sure to subscribe and get all the latest updates. We have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners at Tell Craig Your Story. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Newcastle Knights legend Billy Peden on Tell Craig Your Story podcast.
1: Hi Billy, how are you going today? Good thanks mate, uh, nice to talk from all the way over in uh, Shanghai.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a distance from home. Like I was just saying, pretty keen to come back home and have some of mum's cooking and have a meat pie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't imagine there'd be many meat pies over there. No, no, not at all. <laughs>
0: Billy, tell us uh, what's been happening with WorkWise. Are you still involved with the Knights as well? Tell us about, a little bit about that.
1: Uh, WorkWise, I work over at the Coal on the Newcastle Harbour, so um, right. that's basically where I do work shift work, so... That can be a challenge at times, but it's uh, you know it's a good job and uh, you know it's the lifeblood of the region, the coal industry. So um, absolutely, it's uh, it's nice to, to contribute a little bit to the community outside of the sporting arena. In terms of the night, I so, you know I help out here or there, but more so uh, as part of the old boys, you know we've you know on occasion we'll be asked to present a jumper or help out or give a bit of advice here or there, or, you know, sometimes it's not wanted, (laughs) so (laughs) we try and keep our bibs out when that's the case. But um, we're pretty – it's a bit of a family, the Knights. You know, we consider ourselves more of a family than a club. So, you know, whatever any of us old boys can do to help the club or the current players, we'll certainly do that for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the Knights. They had a good win on the weekend. How do you think they're going and prospects of making the top eight this year?
1: Well, look, I think we're in a better position than we were this time last year. Yes. The table probably doesn't reflect that, you know, and there's been a little bit of controversy over the last couple of weeks with with having the buy and players going on holidays <laughs> and things like that. But um,
0: will that will that ever happen in your day, Billy?
1: Oh, look, it, it did. You know, we, we yeah? were given weekends off if there was a buy, and you know, you might, you know, we probably had smaller wages back then, so we we, we wouldn't go overseas. We'd probably <laughs> go up the Costa Harbour or something like that. You know, but, <laughs> yeah. Look, I actually spoke to Adam O'Brien about it the, um, last night and it was mm. it was interesting because, you know, he's copped a lot of flack over it and the, the club's copped a lot of flack. But the other side of it is there's a lot of scientific professionals that are looking at the preparation and they've decided that the the players needed a refresh and a disconnect from the everyday of the club. So, yes. you know, far from from former footballers and, and commentators that have no idea about the scientific approach to actually comment on something that's probably outside of their scope of knowledge. So Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I've got no drama with it. And to be honest, they got beat quite easily by Parramatta the week before the and went and we come up and have a good win yeah. after it. So maybe it was the right decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It shot a lot of people up with that really good win on the weekend. So...
1: I think it, it, it looks well for prospects for the future. You know, I think Kalen coming out and playing better, and obviously defensively a lot better. Um, his confidence looked a lot higher, um, and, and he was wanting the ball all the time. You know, so and there's a few and there's some quite improved uh, performers across the park. You know, so even though it's not reflected on the table, I think a bit of confidence and, and possibly a couple of wins, and and we're all, all of a sudden we're up to our neck to get into the semi. So. Hopefully
0: yeah. that's the case. And do you have any up and coming players, uh, especially like you're from Cessnock in the local league, that are on the
1: fringe of making the Knights? There's always, I think the Newcastle competition at the moment is probably as strong as it's been in a long time. You know, we hmm. we just had a couple of representatives in the countryside that beat City and 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 all that sort of thing. You know, there's a young kid called Luke Huth who's playing hooker for Cessnock and uh, right and uh, and um. And Adam Adam Clune's brother, brother Sam's actually playing for Cessnock as well. Right. Like the side. So so there's a bit of strength there, you know, and and, mm. and that that's good for the Knights because it does put pressure on people above. But you know, obviously systems are probably a little bit different than they were in our day when I was given the opportunity from local league to come in and play for the Knights, the the, yeah. the process is a little bit more complicated and different and you know, there used to be a reserve grade and, you know, 21 yes. reserve grade, first grade. Nowadays, it's a little bit more complex and, uh, you know, contra- You know, the top 30 contracts and all that sort of thing. It, it is a little bit more complex mm-hmm. and probably a little bit harder to make that jump from local league. But um, I, I certainly believe there's, there's quite a few players in that yeah. local comp that could step up and, and, and grab an opportunity if it was given.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, that Huffboy, there have been lots of talks. Do you think he's ready to play first grade or do you think he still needs some time in reserve grade?
1: Oh, I think, you know, so-called reserve grade, definitely. You know, it is similar, you know, but it is still a big jump, you know, and and to go up against professionals. are living and breathing and and everything they do is to be successful on the weekend to compete in that arena straight away is the well it's not impossible but it's pretty hard you know so Mm -hmm. there would be a there would be a a process to follow and uh some progression that he would need to to take on to to get to that level so you know but you know given an opportunity blokes like that can
0: Yeah, and let's talk about that, Billy. And for our international listeners, tell us where you grew up. Do you believe it? You were born in Cessnock.
1: Yeah, I was was born in a small mining community about an hour outside of Newcastle, called Cessnock. It was sort of blue-collar sort of town, and you know, some people might call it a little bit rough. We we didn't think it was, (laughs) you know, and I still don't think it was. It was a good upbringing, I think. You know, we were grounded. Uh, My father owned the local pub, so um, it was a the case of i knew most of the people in town because of uh my, my dad owning the pub so it was uh, right it was that was good and a bad thing you know if everyone tried to get <laughs> out and have a, an underage drink, everyone knew who i was so it was a little bit hard but, um, <laughs> like i say to, to grow up in country new south wales i think uh, you know we're a pretty fortunate area you know like we probably weren't the most affluent area but you know we, we sort of had enough to to put food on the table and and, um, and do what we needed to do you know so we're probably a pretty lucky upbringing really
0: yeah were your dad involved in rugby league as well and did he play rugby league
1: yeah he played for Cessnock he was uh, he was right. actually a halfback back in the day so uh, right You know he, he played uh, and actually I think he won a reserve grade comp for, for the Cessnock goers in 1964 so yeah right um, but yeah he he was involved in the game and a lot of the the players would come and you know have a beer after the game at, at his uh his establishment and you know the he's quite good mates with um with two pretty famous footballers in Andrew and Matthew Johns as far as oh, yeah. and... <laughs> I I kind of remember those people. <laughs> yeah yeah they, they sort of went all right and they're pretty good in the media as well so yeah um... yes. But Gary used to come to the, the pub and have a couple of beers, and and he coached a few sides back in the day, and he used to bring the sides back to the to the pub, and then uh, you know Matt and Joe and myself and a couple of other young lads like Scotty Bradley and a few like Tony Edwards, mm. we used to play footy in the backyard of the pub because there was a bit of a bit of a backyard there with a but it had a dirty great rosebush in the middle, so you had to be very careful of the rosebush or you'd end up with a million thorns, and so it was. A, <laughs> Yeah, right. it, was, it was a it was a brave man that took on the Rosebush.
0: <laughs> was it always rugby league was your passion, or was it other sports?
1: Yeah, well, sort of in where we grew up, it was uh it was sort of rugby league in winter and cricket in summer. And, you know, yeah, it was, there there definitely was uh there was a the soccer team called the Hornets in Cessnock. There was sort of two factions. You were either a rugby league man or a soccer man. You know, so. Yeah. and because of I suppose my father's influence uh, and the friends that he had you know he, you know, he was also good friends with Neil Pringle, who coached the Galatas in uh, 1983 I think it was so I suppose you could say I, I was sort of I was always going to be a, a rugby league supporter whether I was you know a competent player or not I was always going to have something to do with rugby league so yeah, yeah it's just what you did in those days there wasn't all the opportunities for other sports and you know, since I've moved to Newcastle, I got into surfing and, and that sort of thing, but uh, that certainly wasn't an option for us. Uh, yeah. getting back in
0: Yeah, you would have been loving going into Newcastle, having the beach there every day.
1: Yeah, it was sort of a bit of a life change when I moved down here. So it was um, you know, something that probably in my life probably has changed direction in that degree in, in yeah. what I do for, for outside of work and for fun and all that sort of stuff. You know, the, the ocean's quite a big part of it now.
0: I saw that on your Instagram page. You've got some, you have like a brand new surfboard there. How's that all going now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually put a big dip in it until like a couple of days
2: after. Oh, really? Right.
1: But I went on a surfing trip to Indonesia and, um, yeah, I managed to fall off and smash it into the roof. So the bloke that made it for me, an old mate of mine, Peter McCabe, he's uh, I've just dropped it out during the day to try and fix it up. Oh, so right. It was a bit of an expensive mistake, that one. Yeah, Right. You didn't injure yourself? No, no, I was pretty fortunate. You know, it is possible. It's it's not so much sand over there. There They're reef bottoms and you can get yourself in a bit of grief. And and particularly with my my lack of ability, uh, that's always a possibility.
0: So when you were playing rugby league, when did you get your first break to start playing rep teams?
1: Yeah, well, it was sort of a funny... Evolution, you know, I I was a really late bloomer in terms of physical growth, so I was a really Mm. small kid. I loved the game, but I was just really bad at it. You know, I just wasn't good. (laughs) So, so uh, up until sort of up until about under 18s, I sort of, you know, I didn't really ever threaten any rep sides or anything like that. And and even to under 18s, I didn't make a rep side. I I was sort of I I played for played for Cessnock under 18s, and then. And then, obviously, after that, you have to go into gra- open grade and play, whether you play first grade, reserve grade, or third grade yeah. for, for, your, for your local town. So my first year, I played a couple of games reserve grade, but ended up playing first grade. I think I was 19 years old. But for, for Sassnock, when the game was probably a little bit more um, free in terms of what people could do to each other. So <laughs> yes. for, for underdeveloped, young, inexperienced, naive, young, bloke. I learned some, lesson, learned some lessons very quickly with bent noses and, and you know, <laughs> yes. all that sort of business. So I certainly learned how to fall and and uh, duck and weave, that's for sure.
0: Oh, Billy, like when I was a kid, like I told before, uh, when my parents live in Maryland, I'd go down and watch the Warzone Maryland Tigers, and I used to have so much fun. They used to have the bikey gang on, on the hill. And yeah. any team that come to to play, you knew that you were in like a fight, like and guaranteed a fight any time. Oh, it was just such a great experience. Tell us about yeah. some of those times, Billy.
1: Oh, look, it was it was a funny old time, you know. Sometimes Cessnock and our local, uh, one of our neighbouring communities, Curry, um, where Mark Hughes, the Mark Hughes Foundation came from, we were big enemies, rivals, you know, so yeah. massive rivalry, so. It was, no, it was nothing for a massive fights throughout the game, and sometimes there'd be more <laughs> fights on the hill than there were in the game, and so it was, <laughs> it was a pretty wild sort of scenario, and <laughs> you know, obviously the game's cleaned up, and it had to, you know, like, it, yes. you know, it was quite violent, you yeah, know, but there was some genuinely tough people that we all looked up to, and you know, they stood up for their mates, and all those old Aussie values that we're, we're proud of that i won't say we're losing them but you know what i mean they, it just probably isn't the same anymore and we've learned that you know like you're saying injury protocols and all that sort of stuff that there there probably is a need to protect people from themselves a little bit more you know um, yeah. because you get put in that situation you you're going to say you're all right when you're not all right you know and yeah so, so the games probably improved a little bit there but when like looking back at those days or I remember one day getting so I got sent off unfortunately at curry for I can't remember what indiscretion I I did. But I got I, I was on my way off with you know, kicking stones, sort of jogging off to the shed. And I looked at this lady yelled at me, I looked up and she threw a hot pie straight in my face. Oh, <laughs> so, so,
2: yeah. so that's how that's how <laughs> it was back in
1: those days. You, yeah. You know, you have to, Had to pay to play. If you did something wrong, you cop cop some retribution, whether it was from from the crowd or whether it was from the other team. You know, so it was a a colourful time to play. It was, you know, good memories and fond memories. But um, yeah, I'm probably probably glad that it has cleaned up a little bit for the for the younger boys coming through. They maybe don't don't have to go through that.
0: Yeah, were you on contracts at that stage, or was it like just play to win, or you you get a certain amount to win, or a certain amount to lose, or how does that work? Yeah, they
1: were. They were we were semi professional, so we would get yeah. paid until you got to a certain point. At within that competition, you would it would be just year to year, and you would you might get 150 bucks a win or something like that. You know, so oh, yeah. it was it wasn't it wasn't great money, but it was yeah it was it topped your top your wage up, and uh, you know could sort of inspired you to sort of to try and get a little bit further. And like I say, there were contracted players where um, you know towards the end, I think you know. I was on a contract where I might have got 1500 bucks every five or 10 games, you know what I mean? So yeah, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, it was semi-professional. And once I started in May, I think 92, I made the Newcastle rep side. Oh, yes. So, it's not, so then, you know, then you could start to sort of ask for a contract and I'd, I'd normally ask for a contract and they'd normally say no, and then I'd say, "Oh right, yeah. <laughs> I'll go, go! On, I'm
2: going away. to, I'm going so, to curry. <laughs> yeah,
1: I sort of threatened that a few times, and it just fell on deaf ears. So, um, <laughs> yeah, a few of my teammates, they moved to different clubs. and you know, um, one of my greatest mates, Jamie Ford, moved to Toronto and and uh, won a competition there. And, oh yeah, right. And uh, you know, a few, a few of the folks from the local Newcastle Red team moved to Cessnock and, you know, there was a bit of player movement, but it was only sort of the the, um, the elite ones within that competition that would move around for for money, you know. So
2: yeah.
1: I never really considered going anywhere else other than Cessnock up until uh, I think it was the end. Like, I made the Newcastle website again the next year in 1993 and it was at the end of that year that I got a phone call from the then reserve grade coach for the Newcastle Knights, Robert Fitch. Oh, and right. yes. as luck would have it, I'd had a massive night the night before and <laughs> the, phone, the phone rings and um, that's Robert Finch on the phone. I went, no way, it's not him. I said, I'm sure, it's, it's Maddie John's ringing up. Yeah, it's it is. I'm me for sure. <laughs> so I get on there thinking it's Matty and it's like uh, he's going, oh, mate, I want you to come to train. And, um, tomorrow we, we're we're going to do a big run. We had, they had this fearsome run called the Butt Run, which was mm-hmm. it was a, a huge, virtually ten kilometres uphill. It was a real test of your character, and mm-hmm. it was you know local folklore and everyone knew about it. And they said, oh, we want you to do that tomorrow. And I said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I've got something on tomorrow. I can't do it because I thought it was Matty Johns. <laughs> right. so he said eventually he said, oh, we'll just come Monday afternoon then. So I went, All right. Oh, righty. So I hung up the phone and I still didn't believe it was him until I actually got a phone call from one of the boys going, and I spoke to him and I said, no, no, it wasn't us, it wasn't us. I went, oh, no, it actually probably (laughs) was Robert Fitch. So I I fobbed him off for the first training session, but it was uh, was actually him. But I I turned up on Monday and obviously realised that, you know, I was coming from a position of weakness in terms of of bargaining potential. So. Yeah. so I just had to make every post a winner, you know. Everything I had to do, a hundred percent, you know. Any sort of training drill, I had to try and try and be as good as I could be. And you know, it took a lot of actually a lot of catching up to the to the guys that had been, you know, a little bit more professional than 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 what I'd be at Cessnock, you know. They
2: yeah. You know, that,
1: some of those blokes were bench press and stuff like many miners, you know, and yeah. And I'm getting in there and hardly ever been to the gym before, you know, so I think right. my first, my first that, that first Monday, we they got us all together with all the forwards and I think Chief and Sarge nearly had a fight and oh. then they said, oh, we're going to wrestle and all this sort of stuff. And Yeah, right. And so, so I had to pair off with um, Paul Marquette, who's, oh. like, well, since… Tough and strong and one of yeah. the greatest competitors you could ever imagine. Yeah. Well, I didn't have I didn't know I didn't realize that. So <laughs> I just looked at him and thought he's not much he's not that much bigger than me. So at least he I might have some sort of chance with him. And well, we got into a wrestle, He nearly ripped my arms off and put my legs <laughs> down the ears And yeah, it was uh, it was certainly an experience that's for sure. He he nearly tore me to pieces. So from that day on, I I made it a mission to to try and be as strong as I could in the gym and and. Yeah. Get, get sort of catch up to to where those blokes were and it was it was a real eye opener and and uh, a massive learning curve but I, once again I was very fortunate to have um Andrew and Matthew Johnson yeah. that I'd know, known from growing up so they they sort of they gave me tips along the way and pointers and 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 sort of you know just helped me in that transition from sort of semi professional local league to actually This is the big show, and this is where it all counts. And and they play for keeps up here, you know what I mean. So I was sort of, was probably, and you know, just in in terms of just shyness to turn up into a big group of, you know, some of them had played for Australia, you know, and yeah, I was walking in, chief and sergeant, yeah, yeah, and and, you know, I'd never, never even considered, hardly even met anyone that had played for Australia before. So, so that was a that was certainly an eye opener and and a real surreal experience and. You know, something that, that I look back on with really fond memories. Yeah, and
0: it says here that '94 was your your debut. Did you come off the bench that day? Or-
1: yeah, I, I came at the end of the '93 season, so we did the pre-season leading into to '94, and I started. I was actually I was a forward. I, I'd only ever played lock, second row, and the odd game front row. When um,
0: I was going to say, pre-season. Billy, sorry, sorry to cut you off there. What was your preferred position? Like you played yeah, hooker, well, you played in the front row, in the back row?
1: Yeah, it was mainly lock, second row. Right. was where I played most of my footy. So. But when I got to the Knights, we were chock full of forwards. And um, so the reserve grade coach said, um, I think Matthew Robble did his knee, who was the, the incumbent first grade halfback. So Andrew Johns went from being the reserve grade halfback at 19 or whatever he was, he was yeah. very young, uh, straight into first grade. So they didn't, they didn't have a halfback in reserve grade. So my first game for the Knights, I'd never played in the backs before, was halfback in reserve grade for the Knights. So
2: wow.
1: here, here I am running around like, thinking, you know, I'm like trying to be a ball player and go, <laughs> I've never, never, <laughs> never played in the backs before. So that was, a, that was an experience, but we had a really good reserve grade side. They'd made the grand final year before. So that made that transition a lot easier. And we had some really good structures in place. From the coaching staff, so that, and it also I think accelerated my, my learning and my football knowledge. You know, of learning the, the the game at a higher level. But that probably accelerated by putting being thrust into that situation. That was certainly uncomfortable. You know.
2: Yeah,
0: and what was it like running out for the first time? International Sports Center, I think it was called it those days.
1: It was, but my actual first game was against. South Sydney, I think. It was. No, it was the Roosters at at the old SFS.
2: Oh right, uh, okay.
1: And and I'd never played at a ground like that before. So yeah, here, <laughs> I was down in Sydney playing halfback for the Knights versus the Roosters <laughs> at the SFS, and I, it was like I was couldn't stop pinching myself. I was like yeah, like is this really happening? You that know, so was uh, that was certainly uh, something to savour. And you know, I've, some of those blokes in that team, I'm still great mates with now. You know, like Timmy yeah. Anderson. And, um, you know, there's quite a few boys that I still talk to quite regularly now from that team. And I'm really fortunate and feel really lucky that I got the opportunity tonight because I've made so many great friends yeah. and friendships out of it and grown so many relationships. So, yeah, very, very humbled to get the opportunity to play in the red and blue. And as I said before, now I've got one red eye and one blue eye. I still do whatever <laughs> I could for the club. Uh, yeah. you know, I love the place. Yeah.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but those reserve grade teams in the early to mid-90s, they were pretty strong, weren't they? Didn't they win a comp there at one stage?
1: Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. They'd played in the, the grand final. The reserve grade side had played in the grand final in 93, and then we made it again in 94. Right. We actually we actually got beat by Cronulla, and in yes. 93 they, they'd been huh. beaten by North Sydney. I remember so, that. Um, so they had a fair bit of expectation, and, and the, the first grade side hadn't really sort of got to a grand final or got to that point before. So when it got down to the pointy end of the season, a lot of um, sort of focus turned to the reserve grade team because they were still in the semis and, and a chance to win the, the the club's first competition. You know, so right. So '94, yeah. Well, we got uh, we got beat by. Um, Canola in the grand final, which was really tough to take because I'd come from from Cessna where we struggled to win a game, and then yeah. came to the nights where it was just expected you you won, you know, or, or yes. you died trying, you know. So to to get to the grand final and I, I, we were actually favourites, and and we got beaten. It was um uh, was a really bitter pill to swallow. I remember being devastated and come back the next year, and you know I felt that like we really had a point to prove, and you know to the point where they wouldn't call we wouldn't call ourselves uh, reserve grade. We called ourselves alternative first grade because we all believed we were first graders playing reserve grade. So. <laughs> that's right. Waiting for that call-up, right? Yeah, yeah, we were just waiting for that opportunity. And, um, you know, 95 rolls around and started the year. Actually, in the trials I started the year, but then uh, played a few first reserve, like combined first and reserve grade trials. But I did my medial ligament in my, knee in one of the trials so I missed the first one or two games with injury and so then I I made it back on the field and, and made the starting side in the reserve grade side in 95 and about halfway through the year I uh, I got picked in the first grade squad and pretty much didn't really go I I came back we, we made the semi-finals in first grade yeah. and we got knocked out by Manly, I think it was Manly, a game short, yeah. a game short of the grand final. Cliffy Lyons scored in the wet, yeah. And then because uh, Robbie Ross and myself had played a few reserve grade games, well, we qualified to go play in the reserve grade grand final. So, right. so we we went back and and trained with reserve grade the grand final week, and um, played in the ninety five grand final. Both of us off the bench, and right. um, because. We spoke to the coach Peter Sharp, and we didn't think it was fair that he didn't, and we didn't think it was fair that we would start the game in front of the blokes that had got him. Yeah. So, so we came off the bench, and we were fortunate enough to beat Cronulla in the grand final and get a bit of uh, revenge back. And uh, so that was our first, the club's first, um, club's first grand final victory, and it was pretty special to be a part of. And. And at, just at the, the conclusion of the grand final, they picked the World Cup squad, and quite a few of our first grade boys got a start. You know, I think mm. Adam Muir, yes. two Johnsies and Sarge and Chief, I think, yeah. all made the World World Cup squad. You know, so so there was a lot of celebrating done, um, you know, for our mates and for for ourselves. And I think we all cut, shaved our heads after after we won the game. So. It was all, <laughs> It was all uh, it was all fun and games for a couple of weeks until we uh, settled down and got back into our working lives.
0: You could just see that it was brewing with the knights in that stage when the reserve grade won the grand final. They lost at the end four. You could just feel it getting better and let the team getting stronger.
1: Yeah, there was an evolution. I think you know you, you, mm. we had a really competitive reserve grade squad, which in turn put pressure on the first graders, and yeah. and then the first graders. You know really took it took it up a notch you know and and i think to have a healthy club you need that you need that competition and you need Definitely. people pushing the people in front of them you know you can't be too comfortable in a game like rugby league because you go backwards so um i think we were fortunate enough to have a really good and we had some great coaching staff you know we had um, yeah you know you now really at that to, stage yeah malcolm really in 95 yeah. yeah but but previous to that we'd had david wade who was a real technician yes. and, and and previous to that, Alan McMahon, who, who'd set the sort of the boundaries and the the pillars of the club, you know. Yes. So And you had blokes like Alan Bell and Robert Finch involved that were really really smart with their footy. You know. So we had a really good grounding footy wise. And then, then Malcolm came in, obviously great with the footy as well. But but he was a tremendous man manager, and, uh, and you know he got certainly got the best out of me in terms of yeah when he when he challenged me it was uh i just didn't want to let him down and i think the majority of the team were like that they, yes and malcolm malcolm had that presence that that no one ever wanted to let him down because he was he was that revered and you know we, he was just he was that sort of leader you know that you you wanted to do your best for him and with him you know
0: was he like an aggressive coach or would he just come in like talk to you normally or how did he approach it?
1: Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't call him aggressive. I'd call him steely, you know. Yeah. Like, like he had that reputation when he played, you know. Like a, a lot of us were old enough to have watched him actually play. So yeah, right. when, um, when he got give, given the job, they they showed us a video of him playing and some of the things that he did were, were pretty wild, <laughs> <long>, you know. <laughs> we were all going, jeez, you know, what, what have we got here? And, yeah. Um, but he was uncompromising in yeah. in the. He, but he wasn't. I would not call him an aggressive coach. He, but you, you certainly knew where you stood, and you know you you, you didn't want to get on the end of a serve. One of his serves, you know, if you he, if you'd have done the wrong thing in training. So, yeah. Uh, I, I do remember the first training session he turned up for. We were, we were training. We were running around the actual horse racing track in Broadmeadow in, oh, in yes. Newcastle, and the grass was this long, you know, and. And we were flogging ourselves around there, and because because I didn't have the the great, I wasn't one of the John's brothers in terms of what I could read with football and the skills, so I I had to train hard. So it, we get there, and it's Malcolm's first session. I've absolutely run my guts out. Couldn't couldn't yeah. have run any harder. Than, you know, <laughs> I've, I've pushed myself to the absolute limits. And then we get a that was on the Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And then we get a letter in the mail a, bit, a couple of days later, like literally snail mail letter that. Yeah. Clearly went to everyone, but I thought it just went to me. And it said, right. "I don't, I don't care who you think you are, what you are, what you are in the club or whatever. That training was just not up to standard. You need to push yourself more, otherwise you'll be leaving the club." And I just thought, "Oh, that's it. I'm gone. I can't, I can't train any other than that. I'll be, yeah. I'll be sacked tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sacked." So I was assuming that I was sacked because uh, because of the letter we got, but it was just. A, once again, but me being naive, and it was just a blanket letter to the uh, to the team. And uh, but that was how Malcolm. That was he expected excellence, and and if you didn't give it to him, he he would let you know, you know. So um, I think I think the club and the players and the personalities we had in the club really thrived under that sort of that strong attitude that Malcolm brought.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 97 grand final. Come on. It almost feels like yesterday.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, I didn't go to the game, but I watched it. I watched it on the TV with my, my family. And I, I just I was always like thinking, like, I hope they win, but it's manly. They've beat us all year. They, they've smashed us at home. And I hope they win, but let's just see how they go. So tell us what your memories, some of the memories of the 97 grand final. What was Mel really sort of game plan for you
1: well for a start like i think you're right what you said there like the whole community just thought oh geez yeah they got there you know i mean we hadn't beaten manly for i think it was 11 games on the trot yeah so it was a tall ask and on the biggest day in the year to actually come up and try and beat a team that you haven't beaten the last 11 times you played them so and you had the truth inspired and all that sort of stuff but the lead-up was terrific you know I remember when we beat North Sydney to to make it to the grand final. In the final, we beat North Sydney, and that was a great game as well. Yeah, it was it was a terrific finish to the game, and you know, like Matty Johns was kicking field goals. Yeah, it was sort of it was in the wet. Darren Albert
0: chasing uh, what was his name? Matty Sears across the other side of the field.
1: Wow. Yeah, without without that tackle, we don't make the grand final. Yeah, that's it. Yeah yeah so we start celebrating a little bit in the sheds and i remember Butts, tony butterfield coming in and saying what are you celebrating about we've got a, we got a job next week we're not yeah. we're not just doing we're not just doing this just to play in a grand final we're going to win this thing you know and um it, that was to me a bit of an eye-opener like and it would uh, and it was a a cue for for a lot of us particularly the younger ones to or the less experienced ones to pull our heads in a little bit and and realize that that we're you know, we've got an opportunity here to, to do something for the region that, that hadn't been done before. And it was sort of, it was almost bigger, going to be bigger than a game. And and I think Chief conveyed that to us on a few yeah. occasions leading up to it. You know, we had some, we had, uh, we went down to the grand final breakfast. We stayed the night before in Sydney. so So we left on a bus on Tuesday afternoon to do the grand final breakfast on the Wednesday morning. And People were lining the streets to see for that away yeah. on Tuesday. And um, wow. and chief got up while, while we we're on there, and it, you know, he got a bit emotional. And we were talking, and you know, he said, This is more than the game, boys. You know, this is this is for the community. And uh, you know, I think not at a, in 97, that the news of the BHP,
2: yes,
1: was going, was going to shut, so a lot of people were losing jobs. I don't think it shut until 98, but. That they got the news that it was actually shutting in 97 so uh, there was a lot of um uneasiness in the community and people were losing livelihoods and you know there was a lot of um negative feelings within the town so the i think for a lot of people the only positive thing that they had during that year was that their footy team was having a crack on the weekend and half going right you know and then we yes. made the grand final and and then it was like people starting to think, well, can we do this? You know, we've you know, we've had we've been down, we've been getting the the guts flogged out of us. Can our footing <laughs> team, you know, pull us pull us out of the doldrums a bit, you know. So and Chief conveyed that to us really well. And, you know, we had the grand final breakfast obviously and all the lead up and you know, Joey having his noodle in the the, oh, the, yeah. the week before, months or... you know, yeah, you know, he might die. Headlines and all this sort yeah. of stuff, and and you know, it was a tremendous effort from Joey to come back and yeah. and play after that, um, to to do that and and play the game he did was was nothing short of amazing. But um, yeah, just to be involved, and I remember running out for the. Well, actually, even before the game, where there used to be like cricket nets at the back, where because uh, it's SCG was right at the back of the footy stadium. So there used to be cricket nets at the back and we'd warm up there. So we went out to warm up and I remember Malcolm, because I'd played second row all year and i you know, yeah. forced my way into the starting side to as ask a second rower that year. And, and you played hooker, game, didn't you? Yeah, the game before against hmm. North Sydney. Um, I think Lee Jackson had been struggling a little bit and our, the bloke that had been playing, hooker, Brett Clementson, who would have yeah. been playing uh, in the grand final, had hurt his... He'd done a groin injury, so he wasn't able to play. So Malcolm came and said to me, I want you to play hooker. And I said, oh, I've never played hooker before. I don't really I prefer to play <laughs> wow. second round. But, yeah. but, you know, if, it, if the team's confident in me and and it's going to benefit the team, then I'll do it. And he said, yeah, well, I'm I'm not asking you. I'm telling you to play (laughs) it. Wow. (laughs) Put you on the spot in the grand final. Wow. Yeah, well, I actually played the game against North Sydney at all. Oh, right. I had had one warm-up game. And um, so we get there, and and we're we're doing the warm-up. And Malcolm sort of looked – I caught him out of the corner of my eye, and he's walking over to me, and I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Is he going to sack me? Like, is he going to put someone else <laughs> in straight away? And he came over and he said, He said to me, Oh, you'll be all right. And I I didn't know what to think about it. It was actually put me off a little bit. I was thinking, <laughs> He said, You're going to be all right? And I felt like saying to him, Yeah, I know I'm going to be all right. But, um, <laughs> Trying to but, focus yeah, on the game. Yeah, I think it was his little way of just giving me a nod that, that yeah. you know, he, he had confidence in me and, and the team had confidence in me. So, to be in that foreign position in a big game like that was it was made a little easier by by the relationship that I had with with Andrew and Matthew and having known them for so long and you know and I'd played in the forwards with the rest of the boys all year. So, you know, felt like we all respected each other in that. Yeah, from there it was game on and it was just we ran out in the field and it was just a sea of red and blue and noise and yeah, just the the memories of truth the night before calling us into a room. After he was... we had our meeting with Malcolm, Chief said, oh, "I want you all up in my room now." And the boys, it was really raw and emotional. You know, Mark Glanville was in tears, and mm. and Chief spoke really well. Matt and Joe spoke really well. All the boys spoke from the heart, and it was all about we're not going to let each other down. You know, we we're here for a reason. It's bigger than ever. You know, this is what what it means to us. And you know, it was when when we left that room, it sort of Eight or nine o'clock the night before the game we all wanted to play straight away we were that sort of fired up and yeah and that up for the contest straight away you know but uh you know we had to cool settle our heels until the next <laughs> day and, and i remember running out into the field and, and uh cr- i crossed paths with matty Johns and just, uh, just a look in his eye and i, I just yeah I sort of nodded to him as if to say, no, I promise I won't let you down." You know, so and, and I could see the same in his eyes. You know, so it was it was a pretty special moment to to run out in that field, and then um, it was an old school opening, like it was a pretty violent start of the game. There, definitely, was, there
0: was a, you guys were so fired up. Just every was. every every tackle was like three blokes in just smashing them.
1: It rattled them. It really did. Well, it seemed to, and then, you know they were, yeah. uh, but they, they brought their game too. You know, like Big Spud was was sort of arcing up, and they were all they were all sort of it was on. It was a proper grand final, so yeah, it was it was nice to be involved in an old school sort of softening up period. They used to call it, but um, yeah, and then you know they were a good side, and they forged their way in front by half time, and so that we really had to knuckle down and and work hard to. To sort of navigate a way back into the game, and I think Robbie O scored from yeah. the space of the scrum, you know, Great just try. after half time, and I think we got might have got a penalty goal as well, just mm. after that, which put us back in touch, and then from then on it was game on, and um, you know the rest is history, I suppose. Robbie O scored to yeah. try to to level us up Second, with I'm not sure long it. to go, and and then uh, and then it was like a, a field goal attempt that fell, I think, Yeah. The a couple and.
2: He hit, may have the post. hit the post
1: with one. And yeah. Matt, Matty Johns hit the post with one, and then the one that get charged down, and yeah. And then uh, Joey goes to dummy half, and Dummies to the blind side, and picks Albie up on the middle with about I think there were six seconds to go in the grand final to win us the grand final, and uh, yeah, the scenes where, were pretty. Um, and,
0: and where pretty were you? Amazing. Where were you, Billy, at, when, when they well, scored the try?
1: when they scored the try I'd, I'd been on for 70 minutes so i i was back right. on the bench so right I, I was a i was like a keen spectator and when i saw albie go over i think there was i think mark glanville was standing next to me so i i think i grabbed hold of him and nearly hugged him to death and you know I think <laughs> mate, wayne richards was there too and we were, we were dancing yeah. around like we were from the moulin rouge i think it was uh, a <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, yeah. uh, it was a pretty special time and uh it's pretty well-known, the, the shenanigans that happened after the game and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yes. and,
0: that was the thing. It went for so long, like, and, and the crowd was just ready. I was just, like, waiting for you to get back to Newcastle and, and party hard.
1: Yeah, it was, like, I think coming back into Newcastle at Wall's End, people were lining the streets up. And Yeah. There was a, there was a police car in front of us, and it, for whatever reason, I think a, people, a couple of people had gone on the road I'm so, um, I'm positive it was both Maddie and Andrew got out and were actually surf standing on top of the police car as it was driving along.
2: <laughs> yes. So,
1: yes. So, and then we and then we got to the old uh, the, the West Club now, which was the Old Workers Club at the time, and um, the bus pulled up out the front just within this sea of people. It was like literally pushing through a sea of people, yeah. like, at about two or three kilometres an hour, and, and they had the the horse that used to run around the game, that yes. horse was out, out in the street among the people. <laughs> how someone didn't get rather run over by the people were climbing up on top of the bus, how they didn't get, someone didn't get run yeah, the, over police. By the bus or kicked <laughs> by the horse, I, I don't know. But, but um, yeah, it was a pretty amazing um, celebration. And just to see the town so so happy and proud was, um, yeah, it was, you sort of, you often say, that you just wish that your friends could see it from your perspective. You know, it's yeah, it's something that's so hard to put into words. That the elation and and some of it's relief that you've actually yeah. achieved what you've set out to. And it's not just a yearly thing. It's something that you've set out your entire professional life mm. is leads up to that one moment to win a grand final. So yeah, it's uh, you know, it's for some people it was a fifteen year journey, you know, to get to that point. So, um, yeah, it was it was sort of unbridled scenes of, of elation and um, and relief.
2: Yeah,
0: I was at the Screaming Jets concert, you know, and you had the big celebration. Uh, yeah, what's the... Civic
1: Park. Yeah. yeah,
0: Civic Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, everyone was wearing like their black shirt. I wore a white shirt and a blue hat, and I'm at the front. And I caught Andrew Johns when he jumped into the crowd uh, during That's the awesome. concert. So. Uh, yeah, I was glad to be a little my small part of it as well. So, great time, great time. And it continued for probably like a week, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was sort of I think we wore our welcome out at most of the places we went to. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first the first night or two everywhere we went and people were shouting us drinks and it was oh yeah. boy about the Wednesday it was like I oh, know here they come again. It was like they were trying to <laughs> shut the door, so we, we couldn't get we couldn't get in. So but it was no. the people of the town were tremendous, and mm. you know, I think they, they enjoyed. They seemed to enjoy the the moment as much as we did, and and we certainly loved um, the interaction that we had with the, the people of the town, and it was uh, it was it was pretty as much as there. Were, you know, it was there was a bit of larrikinism, that was pretty wholesome. You know, it was it was good times.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and it started all these, these ticket tech parades, and I haven't seen too many times where people are lining 30, 40 kilometers along the highway just to wave your flag and just give the support. I mean, that's just
1: yeah. I think it was on the Tuesday we had the ticket tech parade. We came from um, Stockland, Jasmine, yeah, and there was pretty much people the whole way along the yep. street. So we, we were in open top cars just seeing sitting in the back and just waving and, you know, interacting with, with fans and that. So it was um, – and actually, speaking of Lee Jackson, he actually lost his grand final ring that day and it, it fell off his hand while he was
2: – Oh, you know, right.
1: High, – high-finding people in the crowd. And and a bit of a fact, um, a not very well-known fact, is, you know, people – like. Revere those grand final rings. You know you don't give that away. Yeah. Well, Steve Steve Crow actually gave his grand final ring to Leo Denver. So Steve Crow came off the bench and played a good game, and Leo Denver had played halfback while Andrew Johns was injured, but missed out on selection because Andrew came back from injury. Now Steve Crowe actually gifted his grand final ring to Leo Denver, which was that's amazing. Which was. Yeah, it was an amazing thing for him to do, and you know, Leo was was overwhelmed with you know with happiness and pride. And I think it was uh you know it was a, a one of the more selfless things that I've seen anyone do. So you know, it was hats off to Crowley for for doing that. You know, it was it was a pretty amazing um, gesture.
0: He had a great season that year, and yeah. if if it wasn't for him, like the way he played to replace Andrew Johns, I mean, wow.
1: Yeah, he played really good. Yeah, well, uh, Joey had had an ankle reconstruction. And I think he missed yeah. a Yeah. Yeah. So Leo stepped in, and and they turned didn't miss, miss a beat because of the way Leo like, conducted himself and played. Obviously, so completely different types of players. Yeah, he sort of he kept the ship sort of going when it could have derailed without Andrew there. But he sort of he gave us that X factor to get us through. Sort of
0: so what was your contract at that stage? Because for that it was the Super League. So did you have to re-sign your contract that year or the year before?
1: Or I was actually coming off contract. So in the Super League year, I'd signed uh, a three-year deal, which was '95, '96, '97. So I, I was actually coming off the contract, which, yeah, you know, a lot of blokes paid houses off and that sort of thing with their Super yeah. League contract. I was lucky to. Lucky to buy a Tonka truck with mine, so made... <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too bad, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the stratosphere of the other boys, you know. But were you still working yes, at I that came... stage, Billy? Sorry, sorry to no, cut you off there. I'd earned enough at that stage to go professional, but pretty much unjust just. Oh. So, so, but to me, that was a, a dream to be able to play footy for a living. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, we used to joke about it at a training and so say, "Don't tell them we'd be doing this for free," you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was we were getting yeah. paid to play footy, you know, so it was amazing. And, yeah, so I came off contract after the grand final. So, you know, I spoke to St George. And actually, St George, who our old coach, David Waite, had been coaching St George. I, I went, was close to going there, but I was probably closest yeah, to going right. to South, South Sydney because they came up with a really good offer. And there was some doubt that they may not be in the competition for the – I was after a three-year contract. For, so for the third year, there was some doubt – they may not be in the competition, but they wow. guaranteed they they would pay me for that year. So if they weren't in I would have been able to double dip that year, which turns out they did they did falter and weren't in the competition. So I would have probably got oh. paid twice that year. But when I looked at, looked at it, I wasn't doing it for the money. I was yes. doing it because I loved the town, the team, I loved what I was doing. And I was a country boy at heart. I didn't really want to move to Sydney, you know. So Yes. So I ended up knocking back the South Sydney offer and, and deciding to stay. And, and it was one of those funny situations where uh, uh, our football manager who was negotiating the contracts at the time, Dave Morley, he was, was, he'd owned the um, Cricketers Arms Hotel prior to previous to that. So
2: right.
1: he was a, not only an administrator, but probably a friend to all of us, and you know, he just, God bless his soul, passed away couple of months ago, Dave. So, But in in the contract negotiations after the grand final, I said to him, oh, yeah, right, I'll, I'll, I'm going to stay. So I shook his hand, looked him in the eye and said, I'm going to stay. And I think it was not till about September the next year when I actually signed the contract for that year. <laughs> so, right. Because he just said, yeah, it's right. And I just said, oh, yeah, it's right. And that was the way it worked back then. He, he yeah. ended up chasing me out and saying, mate, you better, you better sign that contract or it's going to be illegal what we're doing, you know. So. Yeah. But that was the level of trust we had in each other at the time.
2: Yeah.
0: I really wish some of the the modern players could listen to what you just said just then because gone are the days of the loyalty, uh, staying at a one-team one club and playing for the money. So what do you think about
1: that? I can see both sides of it. You know, yeah. Particularly from the, Me from the player's point of view, like, that's a very limited career, you know. Yes. They, they've got to make whatever they can, and yes. and as we see now, with as we have spoken before, the violence of the game, with the injuries mm. and the, the CTEs and whatever, you know, you, you do pay to play. You know, there is a price that you pay that, that the average Joe doesn't understand that you you actually put yourself through in terms of injuries and and possibly what you'll go through post career. You know, so there is a small window of earning potential but also the and the game's evolved to the point where there's that there's so much money in the game now. yes where absolutely <laughs> clubs are treated like businesses they don't they don't treat the players with any loyalty either so they can't yes. then say to the players oh you should be loyal to us because yeah. any hint of anything they sell they're selling them off or getting rid of them you know so that's so right I can, yeah. see, I, can, I can see why the players don't have loyalty these days and you know, obviously there's player managers and you know, all that sort of stuff. that are probably much more involved these days than they were back then. You know, they were obviously involved, but not mm. probably not as heavily as they are now. You know, and, and whenever there's big amounts of money, there's always whenever there's more bigger figures of money, there's less trust. Yeah, you know, so Agreed. If you get screwed over on a contract, that could you know financially break someone these days. You know. We, yeah. Not that it couldn't back then, but, you know, it, it was a little bit more, it's a little bit more ruthless in terms of the business side of things nowadays than, than it yes. was back then, I think. So I think it's just a natural progression of the game, which is, it is. sad. It's sad, but, you know, yes. well, I, I, the last couple of years I've been calling them franchises, not clubs. It's very, it's become very Americanized. So true. Where, so true. Where they're, they're a franchise and they're not, they're not a club anymore, you know. So. Yep. Which is sad, but that's just the evolution of professionalism, and and it's only going to get more so, I think, you know.
0: And speaking of professionalism, we go and skip a couple of years after '97, and it's four years later we get to another grand final, 2001, and the type of footy that you were playing in '97 compared to 2001, don't you think that evolved a lot?
1: Yeah, absolutely, it changed mm. a lot. We had Chief and Butts in the front row in '97, and you know, I was playing hooker, and then we had Wayne Richards and Adam Muir in the back row, and Mark Glanville playing lock. So there was only really a few of us that made it through to the 2001 side. Oh, you know, so yeah. our actual the way we played changed, You know, evolved, and
2: yeah, yeah,
1: you know, we didn't we didn't have Maddie at five eight anymore. Maddie had gone, and
2: he had gone to the yeah,
1: to, we, he went to Wigan actually oh, in right. 2001. Before oh. he went to the Sharks, so and we had Ben Kennedy in the back row, we had Big Mac Parsons in front row, Josh Perry, and then we had a young bloke called Danny Vadiris playing hooker, who who pretty much revolutionised that position. He, he made Absolutely. it into a, a ball playing yes, a, what they call part of the spine. Mean, part of the spine now. You know, a, a real sort of influence, more so of an influence on the game, I think. And that was on the back of the way Danny played and the way he combined with Andrew. You know, um, yes, they that, that had a tremendous understanding, and and it was it was great to play outside of because uh-huh. it, it was like, a, you know, if you compare it to a car, it's like, it's like driving along in a Rolls Royce when when you're getting when you, get in, <laughs> when you get in service from those blokes, You know, so yeah. it's, uh, the way we played changed; it became a bit more bit more football oriented and free flowing rather than uh, yes, bat, stand them up, bash them up sort of style yes. that we had previous to that so and faster so
0: like the game just seemed to get faster
1: yeah the game evolved to the point where it was you know so it was um yeah it was uh it was certainly contrasting and I've been asked to compare them pre- you know before and it's mm. I think Andrew came up with a comment that like, it's like trying to pick a favorite child. you can't yeah that's, pretty, that's true yeah it's pretty hard but I think you know It was for me, it was a special night because you know, I I was getting on in years and I was club captain, Andrew was team captain, so it was uh pretty special to be in that position and and be there on grand final night. And it was the first night grand final, so it was um, there was nearly
2: 100,000
1: there, yeah. It was before they reduced the capacity, so yeah, they'd reduced it from 110 to 100 or something like that, just after the Olympics, so yeah, so it was. There was I think ninety two thousand people there, which is you know, the noise was just something to be seen, you know. And and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to score a couple of tries. So um First try scorer. First try scoring a grand final. It was sort of it was boys own stuff, you know, like to think that, yeah. you know, the kid kid that have dreamt of not even not even really dreamt of it because I didn't think it would happen, you know, like mm. to to be there on grand final day and to be on the same sort of stage that the you know the Brett Kennys and the Eric Gross and the, yeah you know, right yeah to be on that same stage Heroes. and actually score a try and or two tries you know was yeah pretty amazing and um, yeah something that that I'm very humbled to have been a part of and and be a part of that team you know like yeah like that I mentioned, you know some of those blokes like Matt Parsons still want to be great mates you know but, you know Andrew um, Mark you know, yeah, Robbie O, Ben Kennedy, yeah, Tahu um, yeah, Gidley. I, it's yeah, like I, a who's I, who I, of. Yeah. I could name the whole squad and Daniel yeah. You know that yeah. we're still thick as thieves now, which is um, yeah, right, which is great. You know, so you know without that period and and without that sporting environment, we would never have those relationships. So to me, uh, those relationships are probably more important than the than the jumpers are got hanging on the wall the the rings that you can wear to a function you know the the friendships and the the trust that you have with people that you've you've gone through a you know a pretty tough period in your life when I when I say tough I mean you know like literally physically tough and and emotionally tough to get to a grand final and and go through the what you have to go through to win it it's um yeah it's a wow. pretty special time and and something that I feel very humbled to be a part of and yeah, it was a it was a good time.
0: When's it going to be the knights again in the grand final? You? <laughs> Come yeah,
1: on! Yeah, fingers crossed. I don't think it's that far away. You know, you look at the way the competition is now, and teams go from last to first yeah. in the blink of an eye. You know, it's, you know a couple of key recruits here and there, and before you know it, you know teams are. Are actually really kicking goals and and i just i think we're not far away from it you know we've, we've got some really talented kids there we just need to get things put together you know we've got good coaching staff adam's a good coach You got he's got good support in brian mack and rory costation and there's there's quite a few there's some good people within the club we just need to get the little things right and i think we need to start we just start, need to learn play together and, and get that sort of second nature. Which you know, you look at a team like Melbourne; they, they just, it's everything's second nature. It's done on reflex almost, you know, because they're so they're so well drilled and well versed in what they're doing. You know, so I don't think it's that far away. You know, we got you got on there, who, who on his day is the best player in the competition. You know? Yes. So, you the Safiti boys, Origin, Tyson Frizzell, Origin, Dane Gagai. You know, we've got five or six Origin players.
0: Even Lucky Millers came out of nowhere, literally, and just fitted in really yeah, good. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, and, and some of the young boys, you know, we've, we've brought in a couple of you you know, you got um, Adam Elliott coming in. you got you got Tyson Gamble. You've got, you've got young Felix yeah. Crossland playing hooker and going well. You know, we, we've had a setback with um, Jaden Braley um, doing oh. his move. um
0: that guy can't but catch he, a break, can he? Yeah,
1: he'll be bigger and better next year. So, you know, yeah. th- and there'll be competition for spots. And that's th- and that's what makes a, a, t- a competitive team, a winning team, is competition. So I don't think it's that far away. And um, I know that I'm a pretty biased one or a supporter, but uh, <laughs> I, literally, I literally don't think it's too far away.
0: It's good to hear. And after you, your Knights career finished next year, I do believe, you finished the 2002 season. That was that your last season with the Knights?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and then I moved, At, moved and
1: over you went to London? I, yeah, I moved over to the London Broncos yes. and had a season over there. Um, yeah, what was that experience
2: really,
1: like? I absolutely loved it. It was. Uh, yeah. I loved the game over there. I loved the Super League. It felt that mm. it suited my game. And I, I had what I thought was probably one of my better years and a really enjoyable year, you know. So, was
0: there plans to have another season with the Knights or was it the time was right?
1: I think the time was right. I sat down with Mike Lagan and, and some of the other coaches and Mark Sargent, who was the then football manager or director of football at the time. Mm-hmm. And we sort of decided that, you know, it was time to give someone else a go. You know, and yeah. we had young Daniel Abrahams coming up. Right. Uh, Abraham, not Abrahams, but coming up <laughs> through yeah as a young lock and, and looking really good. So I think the time was right for me to move on. and And I'd always seen good players always going for a year or two in England to finish things off and I just thought that that I really wanted to have that experience you know or to go over there and live in another country and do something different so, yeah it certainly didn't let me down and, uh, I really enjoyed it yeah we had the young family over there and yeah, it was it was tremendous but that was only for one year it was a semi- successful year you know like we sort of we were at the point where, we were, you know, we were quite competitive, and we had a good side too. You know, I had blokes like Jim Dimmick, Russell Bowden, and Dennis Moran, uh, still richless. We we had a pretty good time. Oh, Tony Ryan. Ryan, you know. So right, yeah. So it was a uh, it was a good team, and once again, I've kept in touch with quite a few of those boys as well. So it's that's um, something that I look back on fondly as as well.
0: And then was it retirement after that, or did you come back and play some local football, or how did how did it all yeah. happen?
1: I retired from there. I came back and, and started working for the Knights as a strength and conditioning coach. And I, right. I did that for three years. Three years. Right. Yes. Then the call came again from London, so uh, I, I went back over there as um, strength and conditioning coach to work for the well, they were the, the same club, but the, they were called London Harlequins then, we were owned by right. Harlequins, the rugby union club. So we had a rugby league arm and a and a rugby union arm. So I, and I did that for another three years. Um, and then the kids were getting to the point where I wanted them to grow up in Australia rather than England be home for them, and then when yes. I did eventually want to come home, they weren't coming home, they would have been leaving their home to come to my home, you know what I mean? So I, right. I wanted to sort of, I wanted to get them home. Yes, yeah, so I finished up and, and started a career in morning. so it's been, been sort of pretty much shift work and late nights and early right. mornings ever, ever since
0: bit of a, an adjustment from playing football all the time
1: yeah yeah it was you know and certainly to to learn to come from something you'd done all your life or your adult life to yeah. go and then and to go and do something completely different was uh was was certainly a learning experience but but it, there was a lot of parallels with sport that i didn't realize would carry across into into your working life and um you know, if there's any piece of advice I would give to a younger player is that that take notice of those lessons that you learn on the field and at training because they're valuable lessons when you get into the workforce. You know, the teamwork, the you know, the work ethic, uh, and the, you know, there's many parallels that can be used within your, your working life. So, um, yeah, certainly something I would say to, to make sure you take notice of.
0: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: The best piece of advice I've been given, and I always try and say it to other people, is, is that everyone gets an opportunity in life. Be ready when it comes. So there's no no point getting your opportunity and you hadn't trained hard enough that week, or for the last six months, or train as though, be as though it's your opportunity is coming tomorrow, and you're going to be ready for it. So, yes, that that would be the biggest piece of advice I give. And and the other one is, if you do get an opportunity. You've earned yourself an opportunity to work hard. You haven't made it. Because a lot of people get to a club or they sign with a, uh, an NRL club or an ARL club or whatever, your Super League club. They think they've made it. You haven't made it. Yeah. Like you, if you think you've made it, you're on the way out already. You know, that's you, right. It's, you've you've got to treat it as though every day's a job interview. You know, it's, yes. it's one of those things that you can never be comfortable, and as soon as you start feeling comfortable, then that's when you're on the outer.
2: Yeah, so
1: that's, that's the only advice I've pretty much been given that, that, and got that I would really feel comfortable passing on other people.
0: Yeah. And I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were put in the Cessnock team of the century in yeah. 2000, 2011. What does that mean to you?
1: Oh, it's 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 really humbling. You know, you think yeah. team of the century, you know, there's been – So many uh, uncompromising, tough, great men that have played for that club over the years and many of whom I I watched and looked up to, you know, like, so to be named in that group of of men was, um, yeah, truly humbling. And, uh, you know, I felt sort of um, overawed a little bit by that and, um, yeah, extremely proud to be be named in that bunch, you know, so it was... uh, yeah, it was that was a good time and um, yeah, something that I'm really proud of. You know, like, is to grow up in a town like that 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 loves rugby league and is in the heartland of rugby league, to to you would you don't even dream that that's going to happen to you. So for things like that to happen, it's just it's a, it's an amazing feeling and, and it's something that's hard to describe and and it and it's a pretty emotional thing to have happen for you. You know, so it was. Um, I feel really humbled to be to be known within that group of men
0: yeah absolutely Uh, congratulations by the way two years ago I interviewed Mark Hughes and I had a great chat with him talked about his career and he was telling me about the like the Mount Everest trip and I do believe you went as well I've seen pictures on your Instagram that you actually did that Mount Everest trip as well Tell us about that experience, and tell us about the Mark Hughes Foundation. I know you're a big part of it as well.
1: Yeah, I'm actually fortunate enough to be an ambassador for the foundation. So, great. Um, the, whole, the whole trek thing came about. It was sort of myself and chief had a bit of a conversation one Christmas day about, you know, you, you have mates in the fight of his life. How can we, um, how can we contribute a little bit and do some more other than just sitting around? And, Yes. So we decided to come up with these treks. So we um, we started off with Kakoda, We did Kikoda and then we did Mount Everest Base Camp and we did the Death wow. March in Borneo and some of the other lads did Kilimanjaro in Africa. So we're, we're up to about our fifth trek coming up this year. And, yeah, we're going to go back over to Nepal and wow. hopefully summit one of the mountains near Mount Everest. So that'll be pretty Wow, pretty so cool. cool. But, uh, yeah, to go to, to Mount Everest base camp is once again something I never thought I'd do, and it's probably an expense that I'd never thought I'd have. But uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's it's you know a great cause. Uh, we you know we all tip in ourselves. We all pay for everything, and and every bit of money we raise goes to to the Mark Hughes Foundation and to yeah. the the amazing uh, brain cancer nurses that uh, the foundation supports that give people that have just been diagnosed with with brain cancer support and, you know, help through their journey from, from start to, to possibly, uh, if it ends up to, uh, to end of life, you know, so it's, uh, it's something that we're all really passionate about and, you know, we're, we're all trying to, to do what we can to get better outcomes for, for people with, uh, with brain cancer.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm a two hour flight away, Billy from Mount Everest. So, uh, I'll meet, yeah, I'll have a beer with you when you come over. <laughs>
1: yeah, meet us we'll have a shandy, right. Yeah, let's, <laughs> but, let's do it. You know, once again, trying to raise raise awareness and funds for, for the Mark Hughes Foundation to, to, to make outcomes better for for brain cancer patients. So, it's, yeah, like if any listeners are out there, whether you're international or, or Aussie, if you jump on the Mark Hughes website, you can buy yourself a beanie. I think they're about $20, $25 Australian. and. And, you know, you get yourself a, a fashionable beanie and, uh, yeah. and you also also give people with brain cancer hope that there might be some sort of better outcome and, and a cure for, for brain cancer one day.
0: Absolutely. It's an amazing cause and Mark's done such a great job. Uh, anything that I can do to promote it, uh, I'm very happy to do it. Social medias, Billy, uh, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, just on Billy Puden on Facebook book or uh, just uh, I think it's Billy billypeden13 on uh, on Instagram. So
2: Yeah,
0: I just want to ask a couple of quick questions, and uh, you give me your top two or three answers as of today. Are you ready, Billy? Uh, who are your top two or three favourite bands of all time?
1: Top two or three favourite bands? Well, I'd have to say Pearl Jam would be number Ooh. one. Some quality old-school Aussie stuff in uh, the Angels and ACDC. <laughs>
0: nice. Who are the top two or three favourite players you've played with?
1: Players I've played with? Um, hmm. Obviously, Big Chief, uh, Chief Harrigan. He's looked after all of us uh, over the years and probably saved us a few black eyes as well as... <laughs> um, uh, Joey Johns as well and probably Ben Kennedy. Oh yeah,
0: one of my favourite players too, BK. Great. Outside of rugby league, do you follow any uh, other sporting teams?
1: Probably not so much teams, but yeah, uh, individual sports people I like to watch and 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 see. Obviously, you know, you you got your, um, you know, it's incredible to see what the All Blacks have done over a decade. How successful that they've been over the years is, is incredible. And uh, I think you'd have to be living under a rock if you hadn't seen the, the last dance with Michael Jordan in it. That, oh. that I just think that's an incredible uh, story about sport and, and, um, and just triumph in general, you know, the way that they went, they went about um, being so successful for such a long period. It was amazing.
2: Right. Will
0: the Newcastle Knights make the grand final this year?
1: I'm going to say yes. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm going to say yes with my heart, and uh, yeah, hopefully. But um, yeah, I think a few things will have to fall into place for us for that to happen.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask about your surfing. Uh, where's your top two or three places to go surfing?
1: Well, I just come back from a place called Lakey Peak in Sumatra, so mm. probably call that one. And then there's um, you know a, a place in South Sumatra that we don't. Actually, it's not really the dumb thing to to say the places. So, <laughs> a place in South America. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: and last question: uh, Who is your greatest inspiration or hero, and why?
1: Uh, my, my, probably my greatest inspiration and hero. Probably he's not that famous, but it's uh, it's my father. You know, like um, growing up, I I always saw my father act with integrity and courtesy he always tried to put other people first and um and that's something that that i've tried to although i I sometimes fail i've always tried to have a little bit of that about me in in that um that i'm always trying to be courteous and and do the right thing and and conduct myself with integrity so i'd say um yeah that i've watched my father do that all his life and um yeah, it's something I'm quite proud of him for.
0: And something else I'm sure you're proud of, and I see all photos on your Instagram. I saw one of your daughters also graduated from university.
1: Yeah, yeah, my daughter graduated uh, last year with a psychology degree, so she's doing uh, her fantastic. Honor- and my youngest daughter is uh, is doing diagnostic radiography at university as well. So wow, certainly uh, the uh, the apple. Fell a long way from the tree with that one. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're they're great kids, and I I couldn't be more proud of them. Uh, yeah, but they just grow up too fast. Yeah. one's 20 and one's 21.
0: Right. Well, I think that's a great way to finish off the podcast, Billy. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, you've given me some great memories uh, over the years, especially with the grand final wins and going to watch you play on the hill at Marathon Stadium for many, many years. Uh, uh, Thank you for coming on to the show, and, yeah, let's keep in touch. Let's have a beer when I come back to Newcastle.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate having me on.
0: Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade Nemington with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.